0: Good morning and Merry Christmas. You know, I I, uh, I love to preach. I uh, I think I could preach out of Leviticus and find good stuff in Leviticus. Uh, but I, my favorite time to preach is Christmas because I, I love to talk about Jesus. I love to talk about what happens. So I'm really grateful that the pastors and elders invited me to to share during Christmas Advent week. It's my favorite time, and I hope that through being together this morning. That you will have a fresh revelation of Jesus. And that Jesus will mean something more to you today, after today, than he has in the past. That's what we're trusting for. You know, in 1917, uh, a young man left the, the United States and he sailed to Guatemala. And his purpose was to pass out Spanish Bibles uh, so to the, some of the tribal people that were living in Guatemala. In particular, the Cachiquel people. He, 400,000, he was passing out Bibles, and he moved into the community with them, and he noticed that there wasn't much response to the Bibles. The Kachikel Indians were not that particularly interested in the Bibles, and it was a process of of getting closer to them and realizing that really most of them uh, weren't interested in the Bible uh, because they didn't speak the language. In fact, his life changed when one of the Kachikel Indians said to him, listen, if this God that you're telling us about is so smart, why doesn't he speak my language? The man, it, was, it, it just hit him with the force of, yes, these people cannot understand God's Word because they don't have it in their own language. And so he began a 14-year process of translating the Bible into the Ketchikel Indian language. Now, his fellow missionary said, this is a waste of time. Ketchikel Indians, they're illiterate, they're backward, it's a tough language, it's not worth your time. Don't do it. Just teach them how to read Spanish. It's the language of Guatemala. But he refused. And he pressed in and he translated the word of God into the Ketchikel Indian language. And a movement to Christ happened among the people. As they read the words of God in their own language and said, God speaks my language. Well, this inspired him. He said, well, not just the Ketchikel Indians, but all the tribes that don't have the scriptures in their language. We got to get scriptures to them. And his other missionary friends again said to him, that is a waste of time. And it's dangerous. Some of those tribes are so small. Why would you waste your time translating into those tribal languages? And some of them live in dangerous places and are headhunters, and you're likely to lose your head in the process of translating. Why would you do that? And he persisted. And this man, whose name is William Cameron Townsend, founded Wycliffe Bible Translators. And through him and through their ministry, he answered the question Does God speak my language? With yes, God speaks my language. And Christmas story answers the question, Does God know what I'm about? with a resounding yes in the person of Jesus. God came near and speaks our language. Let's look at our passage today from John chapter 1, continue where we start our series of Let There Be Light. Today we will be reading from verse 14 to 18, and you'll see it up there on the screen. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said he comes after me, though he has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, out of his fullness, out of all that Jesus is, out of his fullness, We've all received grace in place of grace already given. This is the NIV, but most translations translate this, we've all received grace upon grace. I like that a lot better. I like this idea of compounded grace. More and more and more, like it just catches up with, we've received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in closest relationship with the Father, Has made him known. This is the message of Christmas. Look how the, the message Bible translates verse 14. I love this. And this is where we've taken the title of the message today. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that great? The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes. Our own eyes beheld it and saw it. God moved into the neighborhood. Jesus, the incarnate Word, moved into the neighborhood. Now, Pastor Jim was saying that this is not good news for everybody. Hey, if you're a Pharisee, if you are a a committed sinner, if you are about doing unrighteousness, it's not good if God moves into the neighborhood. You know, he disrupts things. But for the rest of us, this is good news. God moved in to where we live, where we breathe, where we work, to live human life. That's the message of Christmas, is that God gets us the eternal word became human. This is your first point on your notes. The eternal word became human. It's important to understand that what the word, it says in verse 1, the word was God, the word was with God, and all things were created through him. We are talking about a glory that is unimaginable to us. The power, the status, the prestige that Jesus had in the seven, He laid it aside to become human. The eternal word became human and not just partially human, fully human. Jesus became completely human. Now, in the tradition that I grew up, we tended to emphasize the deity of Christ, and he is God. We talked a lot about that, but very little about the humanity of Christ. Now, listen Jesus wasn't just a veneer of human, he wasn't part time human. You well, know, it's like when the going get tough, he decided to revert to his godly status, right, and power, and just pull out the God card. No. Jesus was fully human, experiencing all of human life. And this is the next point. Jesus experienced all of human life. You probably remember in the story that right after he was born, Herod got pretty stirred up and sent people to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, so he had to flee to Egypt. Jesus knew what it was like to have threats. Jesus lived fully human. He had to work with his hands. He was a carpenter. Jesus was fully human. He was born in a family. Jesus was born with brothers and sisters. So, those of you that have brothers and sisters, you can imagine. So, Jesus was fully human. Job, if you remember uh, the story of Job, Job had the quintessential. He had a really bad day. <clears throat> lots of them strung together, if you remember. First, he like, he lost all of his wealth. And then he lost some of his kids. And then he lost his health. And so the story of Job is his interaction and in complaining about this. And this is basically how Job's argument goes. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know why this is happening to me. I was serving God, and this bad stuff happened to me. And his friends come and say, well, you know, that's because you probably got some hidden sin. And you go this way. But Job is saying, listen, I want to talk to God. This is what he says in verse uh, chapter 9. But God is not a man that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There's no mediator between us who can lay his hand on me and on God. Do you get that? Job's message is, look, I don't know what's going on here. And I'd like to talk to God, but there's no one to stand between us that goes, I get your side, and I get God's side, and I'm stuck. There's nobody to stand in the gap. Okay, so the next verse should just jump right out at you, right? 1 Timothy chapter 2. There's one God, and there's one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ, not the God. The man, Jesus Christ. He moved into the neighborhood and became like us so he can say, yeah, I get it. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to be lonely. And I know what God's provision is. And I stand in between, and that's the message of Christmas, that God moved into the neighborhood as a man, and he gets the story. He gets your story. He gets my story. He gets our story. I think that's pretty good news. Now I realize we're not all Baptists here, but you, you could feel shout go ahead to say, yeah, that's good news, or amen, or woo, that's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that's good. Yes, yeah, so feel free at any time to encourage me by saying, Yeah, that is good news, because it's all gonna be good news this morning. Very light on bad news, very good, very heavy on good news because the angel said, a good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. And that's what we celebrate Christmas. Is this good news, the great news, that we have a car, that we have God came near to us in the form of Jesus. He became a man. Now listen, this is audacious. This is ridiculous. This is craziness. That Jesus, who had everything, worship and power and status and unlimited outside of time, would confine himself to humanity to come and be near us. If you don't think this is crazy, talk to a Muslim, one of your Muslim neighbors. They say God became a man. Besides the theology, they have another problem. They said, you trying to tell me that God went to the toilet? Yeah, that's what we mean. He had the whole life. They go, no! God cannot be touched or soiled with anything of this life. He is too pure, too good, too holy to come and live that kind of life. It's nuts what God did in Jesus. And a Muslim knows it. They said, how could that God of the whole creator, of the whole universe, draw near? How could that be? How could you believe that? I tell you how we believe it. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. How in the world could this incarnation happen? How in the world could God move into the neighborhood? Because he loved. He wanted to draw near. He wanted us to know that he is for us and not against us. And the only way he could get that message is to have Jesus be able to lay his hand on God's side and our side and say, I get it. Come to me. I get it. Jesus was fully human. He didn't opt out when the going got rough. Second, Jesus knows pain. I don't know if you've thought about what it's like to be in the shoes of Jesus, to lay aside the divine right, Philippians right. He says he was God, but he lay aside the divine right. What does that mean? When the tough got going, when the going got tough, Jesus couldn't pull out the God card. He stuck with the pain. In Central Asia, they talk about sharing salt together, which means fellowship at the table. And once you've sat down at the table, there's a bond between you that can't be broken, so much so that if an enemy comes to your house, comes into your house, and you feed him, you have to protect your enemy. That's the standard of generosity. There's so much that we learn from being with Muslims that's in the Bible. But hanging out with Kazakhs, we learned about respecting of elders, We learned about hospitality. We learned about generosity. And so we've shared salt with Kazakhs and been at their table. And they protect us when people say bad things about us because we've been at their table. So can you imagine three years Jesus is sharing salt, food with Judas? And Judas betrays him. Can you imagine? The the Gospels do not record, when Jesus begins his ministry, any account of his earthly father, Joseph, not earthly in the sense of that they uh, that his DNA comes from Joseph, but that he was given to protect the family. So most scholars believe that his father died somewhere in the way. So Joseph, as the oldest son, was in charge of a family without a father. Part of his life, Jesus' own brothers and sisters didn't believe in him. They laughed at him. Jesus knew pain. Jesus had to flee. Jesus had rejection. Jesus had people talking about him. Can you imagine what they said about Jesus? Oh, you know, Jesus. Remember Mary? You know, before the marriage? A little round before the marriage? Those kind of gut lies. He knew gossip. He knew shame. He knew what we knew. Jesus experienced pain. He didn't opt out of the pain. He embraced the pain so that it could be fully forgiven, so he could be fully human, and then he could say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. Point three. Jesus had to learn obedience. Jesus had to learn obedience. Now, this... This just boggles. This boggles the mind. But this is what Hebrews chapter 5 says. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his divinity. That's a misreading. I realize you don't have it up on the screen to check my exegesis. But it says, not he was heard of his deeds. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered and once made perfect. What? Did did you get that? Jesus learned obedience through his suffering and was made perfect. Wait a minute, wait a minute, bad theology. Okay, it's the Bible, so you gotta go with this. It's in the Bible. Jesus was made. What does it mean by that? Well, the word perfect there means complete, full, complete. Now, Jesus was out sin, but he hadn't experienced all of humanity. God, he had to live long enough to get it all that you've through, that all that I've been through. He had to be made complete so that he could become the source of salvation. How did he get made complete? He suffered. How did he suffer? By doing obedience. When someone spoke against him, he had to go, oh! (laughs) Really? Come on. Jesus had people speak against him. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. Jesus knew what it was like to have people gossip, and he gritted it out with God. The word suffering means there that he experienced overwhelming emotions, usually pain. Jesus experienced pain and suffered so that he might learn obedience and be complete and therefore be a source for us. Listen, friends. The good news is God moved into the neighborhood, and Jesus gets it. He knows what it's like to struggle up against the sin, to struggle against the temptation, the unforgiveness, and to overcome it. And therefore, he's a source of life and salvation for us. There's another chance you had a chance to go, ooh, that's good news, that's good news, that's good news. That Jesus gets it, and that he learned obedience. We can trust him. We can look to him. Now, it's great news. Don't get me wrong, man. It is great news that God moved into the neighborhood. It is great news that Jesus was fully human. It was great news for us that he understands pain and understands how I feel. It's great news that the process of him being human was full. He gets the whole process. That is great news that God loved us so much that he came near. But even the better news is is that in the midst of that, Jesus lived life. He came, he said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. In the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of learning what is human, Jesus brought the life of God near to us so we can go, oh, look, right there. That's amazing. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what life's about. This is what God wants for us, and that's the great news. Now, everybody, everybody look at a light in the room. Everybody look at a light in the room. Hey, that guy's still looking at me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Woo! watch me glow for Jesus. Okay, look at a light, look at a light. All right. Okay, now, what is the source? Because the message, you know, is let there be light. That's the Christmas. What is the source of that light? Electricity through a, a wire to a, a bulb, a bulb. Okay, so the bulb is the source of the light powered by electricity. Over here, if you looked at the candle, the source of the light, you know, if you like your chemistry, is the combustion of the wax that you're turning in with oxygen mixed with oxygen gives you light through the combustion, through the energy release. So the source of the light is the candle. You got it? Okay, so the candle's not the light, it's the source of the light. Get this, this is great. In John 1, verse 4, it says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of man. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. This is also the Christmas story. How do we have light at Christmas? Because we have life. We have life in Jesus. Jesus came to show the Father's life, the kingdom's light, to live it out so we can say, Life came near. That's a good news of Christmas. We don't just get uh, the sacrifice. We get the life of God. His life is light. How is this life manifest? Well, you remember the passage that we started with. It says that we have all received grace upon grace from him. Yeah? That he, the word became flesh, moved into the neighbor, and we have seen his glory. How is that glory? Glory is like light. Where's the light come from? The light comes from the life. How does the life get to us? Through grace. We get grace upon grace. Now, you've probably heard the definition of grace as God riches at Christ's expense, unmerited favor. I like to think of it a little more active. I like to think of it as God's power for us to experience His life. That is, He's extending to us the ability to get God's life, that's what grace is to it. We don't get it by our own works. So in Jesus, we get the ability to have life upon life, grace upon grace. So grace is the source through which we experience Christ. It's the avenue through which we experience Christ's life. We get grace upon grace, compounded interest in Jesus, praise the Lord, grace upon grace. How does that grace manifest it to, his, to his First of all, His grace heals the sick and brokenhearted. And you, you, just, you cannot read the Gospels with fresh eyes and not see grace come and touch the heart brokenhearted, to touch the sick. It's a great story about the, the leper in Mark chapter 1. You may remember uh, that in the Old Testament, the law for lepers was that lepers had to be separated from the community. They couldn't be with the community because if a leper touched you, you became unclean. If a leper touched clothes, it became unclean. If a leper touched part of the house, it became unclean. That is, the leper contaminated the people and the stuff around him, and therefore they had to be isolated. Even if they walked down the street, they had to go, leper! So everyone could clear off the street so no one would be unclean. Totally isolated from the community. So this leper comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, the NIV translates is very interesting, the next line. So most translation says, and Jesus was moved with pity or compassion. The NIV translates, Jesus became indignant. Jesus had an emotional reaction to this man saying, if you will, you can make me clean. Something rises up in Jesus and goes, oh, if I will, oh, I'd love to, I would love, to," and he touches him. What does the scripture say now from Leviticus? Uncleanness from here to me. No, no. Jesus touches him while he's still unclean and says, I will, I want to be clean. Jesus turns the tables. Uncleanness to uncleanness, no. Now it's the life of God comes into a situation and bam, life. Jesus touches this broken-hearted man, heals him. He was lost his community. Jesus walks into a said, You can't invite Jesus to a funeral. You know, he shows up at the funeral, and he raises the dead. He goes to the widow of Nain. He's in the little town of Nain. they are got a senior procession. He walks and says, hold it, hold it, hold it. Just got one thing to say here. Get up. Wow! You know, Jesus is a good, good guy to invite to a funeral. Jesus <laughs> brings life to the brokenhearted, to the sick. We could tell story after story. When you think about the scriptures and you go, it's life. The life is light. Jesus brought life. You could think of yourself. You could tell tons of stories from the scripture and hopefully from your own life where Jesus showed up and changed everything because he moved into the neighborhood. His grace forgives sinners. You remember the woman caught in adultery? the Pharisees set up this whole thing. They're looking for a way to trap Jesus. They want to find some way to discredit Jesus. Jesus was the most popular guy in town. And the Pharisees, it says in other places, were moved by jealousy. So they set up this whole situation where they get a woman caught in adultery, and the penalty for that is death. Now, what you don't read in the text is that if you actually look at the scripture, it says both the man and the woman. Being caught in adultery means that they found him in bed together. So the fact that the man didn't show up, let Kind of indicates to me that they were trying to set this whole thing up to frame Jesus. So the guy's not there, just the woman. They bring her up, throw her on the ground, and said, This woman was caught in the very act of a Can you imagine the shame and embarrassment that this woman felt? Okay, She knew she was doing something wrong. But now, before the whole community, her shame is exposed. She's there on the ground. All the religious leaders scowling. All the neighbors coming in because, you know, now it's, you know, Facebook everybody flocks to. Then it's, you know, bad stuff. Let's hang them. Let's, let's stone them. That was kind of the entertainment. Everyone's there looking at this woman, hearing what they say. And I, 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 can, just see, I can just see people going, okay, those guys are over there. And Jesus, what's he going to do? I can't wait to see what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He bends down on the ground. Starts writing. I I don't know what he wrote. I think it's going to be cool to find out. But, you know, I think some guy wrote a book about what Jesus wrote. I don't know how you can write a whole book about, you know, one verse that said nothing else. But somehow, so he's writing down there and this stuff, and this woman's crying and weeping on the ground. Then he stands up and says, now the law demanded that she be stoned to death. That was the law. Jesus full of the life of God, doesn't set aside the law, he says, okay, whichever with you is without sin, go ahead, go ahead, you guys cast the first stone. And then it says, starting with the oldest, they all walked away until only he was left with the woman. And he turns to this woman, full of shame, full of embarrassment, says, woman, does anyone condemn you? She says, no, Lord, no one. He says, neither do I. Go in peace. Sin no more. Jesus comes in and forgives. His grace extends to the sinners. He forgives sin. Jesus brings life into sin. If you're struggling with sin today, I got good news for you. Jesus is in town. He's in the neighborhood. He gets it. And you can be set free today from sin and the shame of sin because Jesus, his grace, comes to sinners and forgives them. That's good news, by the way. That's good news. That's good news. Finally, not finally, but the last point, Jesus empowers new life. Now, I'm going to show you a video from Kazakhstan about what happened when life came to this, this woman, uh, this Muslim woman. Now, this, this story, I just want you to know, this person is brand new in Jesus. Her son is telling the story about what happens to his mom, and I want you to listen very closely what he says because he's not read the Bible yet. Okay, So you're going to hear something that should sound familiar to you, but just know he hasn't, he, he hasn't read the Bible yet. He's just describing what he saw when Jesus came into their family. So you'll hear him speaking in Kazakh and then my wife translating. So let's, uh, let's see how it goes. Before we came to the Lord, uh, well, we had a terrible life. My mom, she um, drank a lot of uh, vodka. And we didn't we didn't have any place to live. I know we came to the Lord and everything's uh, just, My my life has been so different and and we, she came to the Lord and she uh, right away gave up alcohol. It's like she was born again. And, and our life has changed so much since we come to the Lord. It's, it's like everything is good now. I just had to thank God. I, I got to thank God because everything's so different. <laughs> Did you get the line? He said, it's like she was born again. Like she's a new person. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you shall not be able to enter the kingdom of God. And this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when Jesus moves into the neighborhood and the son said, it's like she's born again. She's a brand new person. If you're here today and you have never experienced that new life beginning in you, if you've never met Jesus in a way that transformed you and you became born again and you became a son or a daughter of the king, I got great news. Jesus is in town. Today is the day. If today you would like to experience that life of God, Jesus still offers new life. He still moves into town. See, here's the miracle of Christmas. Not that he showed up in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago and took on the form of man. That was a miracle. But today and every day, Jesus is showing up and being born again into the stables of the hearts of men and women who receive him. He becomes incarnate in us He lives with us. He moves into our neighborhood today. Christmas is every day. That's why I love to preach about Christmas, because it's good every day of the year. Jesus is in town. If you don't know him, you can know today. We'll give you a chance after service to put some faith, to respond to that message, and come forward and talk to some people. Well, what are we going to do with this? You know, I took this adult education class, and uh, one of the points of this education, if you teach adults, they said, how do you know when, if an adult knows something that you've taught them? When they do it. That's how you know. They got it when they can do it. So today, if you don't do something with what you've heard, if God has spoken, you, if God's moved on your heart, and you don't do something, the chances of you retaining it are close to the goose egg. So this is the most important part of the sermon. The most important part of our time today is what would God have you do today? I've got four things to suggest, but maybe the Lord has told you something else. First of all, you could... Today, as a result of this, you could, yes, invite God into a specific place of your life. Listen, when we get born again, Jesus comes in our life, it's like getting a new house. Brand new, he comes to live in a house, but there's lots of rooms in the house. If today you look at this and say, you know what, I have this area of shame in my life. That God has not, Jesus has not come into. I have this area of sin in my life that Jesus has not come in today. Today, would you, would you purpose with your mouth and with your actions to say, Jesus, come into this area of my life. Come and bring your life, your forgiveness, your power into this part of my life. It could be that you have broken relationships. Maybe there's a family member, a husband or wife, mother, father, and you say, I, every time I think of that person, I just get filled with bitterness and anger. Would you be willing to invite Jesus into that place of your heart? Perhaps you're just beset with the shame of a sin that you can't get free from, an addictive behavior. You know the shame of that woman that laid on the ground. Today, would you be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I give you this area of my life. Come, bring your life in this place that I've sealed off from embarrassment, from hardness of heart. Would you be willing to do that? That's one thing you could do today. Now I know that some stuff you may have been dealing with for a long time and you've lost hope. Let me tell you a testimony. The man who now pastors the fellowship that we planted, was a heroin addict for 17 years, stealing from his wife and children, while they were gone, he would steal stuff from the house and sell it so that he could keep up his heroin addiction. He, God got into his life. He reached rock bottom, went to a rehab center run by followers of Jesus, and this Muslim man, in one week, in one week, completely set free from heroin addiction. Now, drug counselors and that stuff will tell you that this can't happen. Now, he had tons of discipleship stuff to do after that. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is going to be easy for him, but I'm saying that Jesus can change you Today. Jesus can make a difference today. Invite him into some part of your life that you think, man, this has got no Jesus on it at all. Invite him into that part. too. I invite you to be like Christ and move into, put somebody's name here, a family member, a friend, a neighborhood, and a specific thing that you're going to do to be like Jesus. Remember we said Jesus moved into the neighborhood. This is why the gospel, the good news for Christmas message, is how we do ministry. That's why it's about missions, is because just like Jesus moved into our neighborhood, we're to move into somebody else's neighborhood and be Jesus to them. This is the way Paul said it. He says, to the weak, I'll be like weak. To those with the law, like those with the law. Those without the law, those without the law. To the neighbor next door who works in a bar, I'll be like a neighbor next door that worked in a bar. That doesn't mean go drunk. It means you get into the neighborhood. You get into his life in a way that he can go, oh, look, Jesus moved into town. Is there somebody in your family, is there some relative, is there some uh, neighbor that you can say, you know what, I think God wants me to move into that woman's, guy's, family's neighborhood and do this? What might that be? I don't suspect you'll get it right away unless the Holy Spirit just gives you revelation. But think about that. Say, how could I be like Jesus and move into someone's neighborhood? What could I do that will make the gospel near to them? Three, you could come forward for prayer today. I will go forward today after today's service. Look, the fact is, is that we need each other. We're not meant to do this alone. You're not meant to do this in secret. If the Lord has spoken to you today, one concrete action that will solidify what God is doing in your life is to come up and say, would you please pray for me? Whether you want to be born again for the first time in your life, whether you want Jesus, whether you have an addiction, whether you have a sin that's besetting, come up and confess it. Now listen, I am in no illusion that this is going to take courage and faith and humility. I'm asking you, if you're serious about it, if God has spoken to you, consider coming up and confessing to a brother and sister who will stand with you in prayer. There will be people up here to pray afterwards. And this is the great promise of God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace. Remember grace? The power to experience Christ's life to the humble. One way you could express the humility is to come out and say, would you please pray for me? We need one another. And finally, I'll set aside 30 minutes with some others, who are you going to do? Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your youth group. And just remember what God's done. Remember how Jesus made a difference. There's such power when we talk about what God has done, how he moved into the neighborhood. Do you remember when we weren't going to be sure if we could rub two pennies together, and we opened a mailbox, and there was a check from somebody we didn't know, and we had grocery money? Do you remember that? Do you remember when I couldn't get a job and we prayed as a family, and God opened the door. Do you remember when he healed our daughter? Do you remember when he saved our... uh, Recount the deeds of God, how God moved into your neighborhood with someone close to you. This does two things. It's a great prophylactic for complaining. You know, nothing stops complaining by going, yeah, but God, yeah, but God, yeah, but God, yeah, but God, man, God did this stuff. You, You just can't keep complaining when you start talking about all the great stuff God's done in your life. And second... It builds faith. You start to believe that whatever situation you're in right now, God can take care of it because this, 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 this. Yeah, God can do this. Let's go to him again and let's invite God to move into the neighborhood. So I encourage you, here's four steps you could possibly take today. Maybe the Holy Spirit's got something else in your mind. Hey, listen, I don't like this kind of stuff. You know, when the preacher says, could you go say to someone? You know, say, turn and say to your neighbor, I hate that stuff. But there's something in the power of your words. So I'm not going to tell you what to say. But if you can't do any of those four, before you leave today, open your mouth, because life and death is in the power of the words that a man is justified or a woman, by the words that they say. Now did you get to heaven, God said, well, tell me what you said. I didn't say anything. Well, that's not a lot to work with. So today, just say to someone, Jesus moved in the neighborhood. That's great news. Just say something about Jesus today, okay? If you can't do any one of these things, let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you that you moved into the neighborhood. You speak our language. You get life. You lay your hands on us and on God and say, I can stand between. I can bring life. I can bring grace into this situation. Let me. This is great, great news. This is great news, Father, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood, took on flesh and blood. And, Father, we can say we've seen the glory. Yeah, with our own eyes. You have done marvelous things. Thank you, Father. Amen.